0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing in our annual vision series. Uh, This morning, in which we'll be examining uh, key practices that uh, disciples of Jesus uh, should engage in. And and in particular, what those might look like for us here at River's Edge in the coming year. And we are uh, framing the vision series this year around the closing verses in the book of Matthew. In which Jesus, uh, post-resurrection... instructs his disciples with these words. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey the very ends of the age. Not long After this moment, Jesus ascends into heaven to the right hand of the Father and eventually he sends the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God in order to empower his disciples to accomplish this task. Be my disciples and make more disciples. This is God's mission in the world. It's the reason that the church exists. If you want to know what our mission statement is as a church, it's these instructions, which we call the Great Commission. This is it. This is what we're... And it's worth noting that a disciple was and is a a learner or a student, or I think the best explanation of a disciple is an apprentice. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be an apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus himself says it this way He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And this is the heart behind discipleship to Jesus. We follow after Jesus. We are on the way. The goal of our discipleship, uh, simply put, is to become like our teacher. We are learning to live, love, think, serve, and lead the way that Jesus did. And, And of course, within that, it necessarily involves making more disciples because that's one of the things that Jesus did. And so what we would like to explore through the Vision Series is four key practices that we are going to engage in as followers of Jesus, which are central to our discipleship. Here's where we're headed. Uh, if you were with us last week, we focused on uh, prayer and the importance of prayer in fulfilling the Great Commission and becoming more like Jesus. And so what we did last Sunday is we took most of our time uh, to actually pray, to pray that we would see the Great Commission unfolding in the name. Nations uh, that God has connected us to in our city, here in Spokane, and in our church. Today, we are going to be talking about the importance of engaging in community. Uh, next week, Ray Lowe will be with us from England, and he'll be talking about the importance of seeking the Spirit. And we'll end the vision series in two weeks. Over the next couple of weeks, today we are going to focus in on the practice of engaging in community. And so what I want to do is I want to start by reading a very familiar passage, a very well-known passage from the book of Acts. So um, Acts 2, verse 42, and we'll pick up there in a moment. As uh, some of you know, we just finished a two-year series going through the book of Matthew, and the church is only two years old. Uh, So the book of Matthew is basically all we know uh, at this point. Uh, But the the book of Matthew ends with the passage that we started with today, with the instructions that are up here on the wall. Uh, This is what we call uh, the Great Commission. And it's sort of this turning point between uh, the earthly life of Jesus and the church or the community which will bear his name. And, and so it's sort of this, uh, imagine Jesus almost handing off the baton saying, hey, I've started this thing and, and now you're going to carry it and, and I'm going to be with you through the power of my spirit, but, but this, is, this is you now. You go out and do what I've been doing. Become more like me along the way. And so what we see through the life of Jesus is this announcement that the kingdom in and through Jesus and his death and his resurrection. But, but that's where the power lies. But it's going, to, it's going to trickle into this world and, and be carried into the world by the humble disciples who choose to follow him. And, and hence, you get this at the end of the Gospels, is sort of this handoff that then goes into the book of Acts, uh, which is where we're going to pick up now. The royal announcement about Jesus and, and his death and burial and resurrection and his kingship, those are, that royal announcement is now rippling out across the north. Own world. These communities form uh, around the message. And uh, this, what we're about to read, is a description uh, of the first church in existence. This is what it says Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They, the first followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is raised from the dead? That he appears to the disciples in this new resurrection body and he tells them, Go. Go into all nations. Gather together. Pray. Share their stuff. Break bread. Experience joy. Eat good meals. Laugh together. Cry together. Know one another. Love one another. Now, we preach the gospel, to be sure, but as people respond to the gospel and the truth about who Jesus is and the truth about his death and resurrection, they're actually brought into something. They're, they're actually brought in, grow into maturity. Where do outsiders in, encounter the love of God? and commit to becoming new disciples themselves? Well, the answer curiously revolves around community. And here are some of the marks of that early community. In the first church, there was prayer, there was teaching about Jesus, uh, there was a fellowship, which means they're growing in depth of community. Uh, the Spirit was moving in power. There were signs and wonders. There was the sharing of one another's time, talent, and resources. They were gathering in the temple, a more public place, but they were also gathering in homes. They were together. They were sharing meals, breaking bread in each other's homes, and they were expressing generosity, gratitude, and praise. Now, the details of how all of this happens and what it looks like and what it sounds like is going to vary from place to place and from culture to culture. But it's safe to say that these are are some really healthy markers of biblical community. And in fact, these are the things that we want to be present in our community. Where these elements are present, generally speaking, uh, disciples grow to become more like Jesus and new people, outsiders, uh, then want to become disciples of Jesus themselves. Now, as uh, participants in the American church, some of these elements are, are going to come very naturally to us and others of them won't. For example, uh, most American Christians understand, at least conceptually, the idea of gathering together in a building on a Sunday, in in a more uh, public temple-like setting that's just kind of open to everyone. And, And everyone comes in and there's kind of certain expectations within American Christianity, that there's going to be uh, some kind of praise and worship, that there's going to be a teaching about Jesus, that at some point uh, somebody's going to pray. In some churches there's uh, actually a, an incredible openness to seeing the Spirit of God uh, move in power, uh, but not in all, and, and really with. Any of the elements I just mentioned, I would say that that most of them are present in most churches in America. We kind of get the the gather on Sunday mornings model and what that typically entails. And that hits about half of the things that I've listed from Acts chapter 2, where the American church has typically been weaker It is on the other half that I didn't mention. Growing in in true and meaningful uh, depth of community beyond what a Sunday gathering would allow. And my sincere hope is that as a community, we see why we need both. We need uh, to gather together on Sundays, to worship, to pray, to study the scriptures together. But we also need to gather in living rooms on a, on a Tuesday night uh, to know others and be known, uh, to share uh, stories and share burdens and share laughter and, and to actually function as brothers and sisters who are involved in one another's lives. Without a depth of community, uh, without being who, who actually know uh, where you're at and what you're up against and, and what God is calling you to and, and what he has uh, blessed you with, it, it is going to be increasingly difficult uh, to become more like Jesus. Generally speaking, without depth of community, we do not develop in the way that we were intended. I um, gave my life to Jesus as a freshman in college on the western half of the state. And I um, kind of came out of an atheist background, so no, no knowledge of the scriptures, didn't own a Bible, but I came to faith in this kind of uh, small group on-campus uh, Bible study. And uh, these small little on-campus Bible studies would all come together once a week for more of a, a larger scale kind of worship, prayer, study this. Four months, I was a part of this group and I flourished in that environment. Like my understanding of who Jesus was, was exploding. My, my life was radically changing, being flipped upside down. It's like hard to describe the difference uh, before and after. It was incredibly rich time. That was the end of my freshman year of college. And then uh, heading into my sophomore year of college, I studied abroad which was amazing, but it was so amazing that I just kept doing it. And so I studied abroad like over and over again for a couple years. I was just kind of overseas, um, you know, fulfilling my college requirements, but all over the world. And um, then I, I graduated from college and I was kind of looking back and reflecting on my college years. And it hit me that I had grown more as a disciple in four months Of being in a a small group then I during those years I didn't think anything was wrong I just thought this is what followers of Jesus do I have the Bible I kind of know who Jesus is I I just have to keep following him but in all reality I had flatlined I I, I wasn't growing I I wasn't going anywhere I, I was stuck and it wasn't until after I graduated that I joined a church and got involved in a missional community, and, and all of a sudden, I started growing again. And it wasn't easy because community never is. But, I, it, All of a sudden, it was like this whole new era in in my experience with Jesus. This page was turned and I was growing and I was becoming more like him and I was being challenged and I was being known in significant ways. And so our invitation to you in the coming year is to engage in community. You can know others and be known by them in meaningful ways. From the very beginning, as a church plant, we have held the conviction that this is the best way to fulfill the Great Commission. That it's not just small groups in living rooms and it's not just the Sunday gathering, but that we actually need both working in tandem in order for us to take hold of all that God has for us. And so we want to be a people who uh, gather together on Sundays to celebrate who God is, to pursue the way of Jesus together and we want you to experience a, a, a depth of, of fellowship, as the book of Acts says, that, that we see in Acts two. We we want and every human being is actually hungry for it. But we're all hungry for this depth of, of meaningful community. And what we want for you in the coming year is to experience that in all of its fullness. And it's worth noting that this isn't a new direction for us. Uh, it has always been part of the vision of the church. Uh, but it's also worth noting that we aren't there yet. That, that we haven't arrived as a community. And uh, we know that there are some of you here, even in a small church, who, who aren't connected, who, who don't feel loved, who don't, feel known, who aren't experiencing the fullness of community. And, and as a result, we know we need to change. We know that there's more out there for us to take hold of. We know, and that takes effort and it takes risk. But while there are plenty of compelling reasons for us to pursue this goal, we also recognize That there are a number of factors which I would call uh, anti-community forces that work against the stated goal of growing as disciples in small intimate community. And as some of these anti-community forces originate outside of the church in the culture at large, uh, but many of them have actually found their way into the church and they operate within church culture and yet they keep us uh, from taking hold of the vision that god has laid out for his church so uh, first off as we sort of uh, critique and examine it is the most hyper individualistic culture in human history most human beings who have ever existed did not live in a culture like yours and and so we recognize that we live in a culture of individualism and and that most of us, knowingly or unknowingly, carry all sorts of individualistic attitudes around with us. Uh, We live in a commuter culture where many of us live a, a, a significant physical distance from work and church community. We recognize that we live in a digital age in which people more and more are seeking community online instead of face-to-face, instead of in person, which means that just by nature of being born in this country, you are already fighting an uphill battle, are not stacked in your favor. It's not just going to happen on its own. So, uh, for some of us, in response to the culture that we've grown up in, for some of us, that means that we commit to the commute, uh, even on the days that it's not fun, or better yet, we consider moving to be closer to the center of our community. For some of us, that will mean um, completely reshaping uh, the way that we think about social media and, and making the active decision in our own hearts and minds that we would rather invest in two people in person than 200 online. For all of us, this is going to mean a, a massive shift away from the cultural attitudes that we've inherited as a result out and overturn and, and strain out those poisonous attitudes and assumptions, then the more prepared we will be as a community to to step into something that is meaningful and transformative and from the scriptures and and life-changing. If we don't uh, call out, challenge, overturn, strain out some of the junk that we have inherited from the culture, then inevitably those things will show up in the church. And they do, we see it all the time. Um, Does the American church influence American culture? Absolutely, no question about it. American culture from from day one um, has been shaped and influenced to some degree uh, by followers of Jesus. But does the American culture also influence and affect the church? again, we'd have to say yes, that that it does in in more ways than we even have time to explain. Uh, But here are just a few. Uh, This is a short list of lies that we believe within the church that keep us from experiencing community. And the first is this, you don't need community to follow Jesus, you would be shocked at the percentage of Americans who believe that to be true. The percentage is high, and that percentage is growing inside and outside the church. W- many of us have taken on this attitude that the church is kind of an organization, the church is a nonprofit, the church is this hierarchical structure, and we don't really need any of that in order to flourish as followers of Jesus. The majority of Americans uh, would say that we can just kind of go at it alone. We just kind of take this attitude that I had for years, which kind of says, hey, um, I've got God, I've got my Bible, and I've got me. And and all three are pretty awesome. (laughs) Why do I need anyone or anything else? The American dream of complete and utter independence from everyone permeates our thinking to the point where we think we can just kind of go at it alone. The only problem is that the people who are doing it that way aren't really going anywhere. They, they tend to just kind of flatline and, and then they kind of tend to slowly drift and then they tend to, to grow cold and then eventually they just kind of give up altogether. And I, I know because I've been there. But the biblical vision of community it is not a hierarchical structure uh, so much as it is uh, a body. It, it's a living organism, a family made up not of independent people, but of interdependent people. <laughs> Who are all supporting one another and being supported by the others. Is that clean and, and and easy? No. It is messy and it is imperfect and it is risky and sometimes it's really hard. But ultimately, we believe that it's worth it and that it's necessary if we are to grow to become more like Jesus. The next anti-community attitude that shows up in the church says, I am the consumer and the church exists to meet my needs. That's how it works in the culture. That's how it works when I go to Walmart. Not that you go, you know, other people who shop there or whatever. That's how it works. when when I go to the drive-through at Burger King, certainly the church is just one more stop on on my round of errands in which people serve me and give me what I want. And so I'll come on Sunday, but it's really just to receive what I want. Hopefully I'll hear an encouraging message, not at this church, but at other churches, you might, and, and I'll hear an encouraging message, and, and those, they're gonna be really good worship with great production, I'm gonna be entertained by what happens there, and, and I'm gonna drink some good coffee, and then I'm gonna go on my way. And if they have the right production value, and, and messages that make me feel good, and really good coffee, and, and hopefully a big, dark, crowded room where no one knows my name, well, th- that works great for me as the consumer. I can come in, I can consume the religious goods and services I want, I can get out the door, and no one will even know my name. And, and that's how we like it. We, we've become accustomed to that way of thinking. And can I just say that I've had seasons where I've failed to connect because I didn't want to go through the commute. Uh, I've had times when I failed, uh, when I functioned, rather, in in the spirit of individualism, and I let those attitudes drive the direction of my faith. I spent years trying to follow Jesus alone. There have been days when when I've chosen to invest in in the online community rather than the in-person community community, and I've certainly spent my fair share of time viewing the church as a consumer enterprise that exists to meet my needs. I I only notice all of this stuff because I've lived all of this stuff, but the only problem is that all of these attitudes are far more reflective of our consumer culture and our entertainment culture and our our culture of individualism than they are the early church. I'll just drift from place to place until I find the church with the best coffee and the best building and the most encouraging messages. I'll get my shot in the arm. I'll consume what is most pleasant and easy and enjoyable for me, and I'll go on my way into the dark room, out as quick as I can, back to everyday life. The church exists to serve me, to meet my needs, and and if they don't, I just move on. And by the way, uh, this is actually one of the reasons that we don't use the word service when we talk about what's happening right now. Uh, whenever we talk about Sunday, what we're always talking about is, is a gathering. Uh, the, the church is a living. Whenever I'm done talking, uh, the church is going to scatter out into the city. And, and so this is a, a gathering of uh, God's people. And the reason that we don't like uh, the word service is because what's kind of embedded in the word service is that I'm, I'm going to a place where a select few group of professional Christians are going to provide goods and services for me to consume. So, so I'm going there so that these people will serve me and then I will leave. That's, that's why it exists. And can I just say that that's not church. It's not. When you look in the scriptures, that's just not what it is. And so if you want to call what's happening right now a service, that's okay, provided that it's with the underlying attitude that you have come to serve, that each and every one of us is here to serve the people around us the way that families do. If that's your assumption, then 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 go ahead. But if not, if you're viewing the church as a consumer enterprise, then, then this is not a service where you are here to be served. This is a gathering of God's people, the way that God has gifted you and the role he wants you to play within the body. And he's given every single one of you something. That's the tragedy of the consumer viewpoint, is that he's gifted three people with something. I'm here to receive from them, and then I leave. That's not church. God has gifted you with something, and the people around you, sitting around you right now, will be, will be richer for it as you come alive in that gift, as you become who you are in Christ and share that. This is not a consumer enterprise. It's a family in which you are called to come alive and participate, to be known and to know others. And that brings us to uh, the final lie and perhaps the most insidious of all of them. And it sounds something like this. I need to wear a mask so that people won't see the real me. As human beings, we have a tendency to project a false image to the world what starts with putting my best foot forward quickly becomes a lifelong struggle to convince the world that I am something that I'm not. Perhaps I can convince the world that I am smart. I will show them everything but my weaknesses because if people see the real me the one beneath the mask, if they could see all of me, they would reject me. And that would be too painful for me to bear. Instead, Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, we conceal our true selves, we, we cover up, we put up walls, we put on the armor, and we get about the exhausting business of trying to convince the world that we're something that we're not. Social media is one avenue for this venture, but the problem is not social media. The problem is the human heart. Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says, the more we allow our accomplishments or our projected image to become the criteria of our self-esteem and self-worth, the more we are going to walk around on our mental and spiritual toes, never sure if we will be able to live up to the expectations created by our last successes. Have you ever been there? He continues, "'But underneath all of our emphasis on successful action, many of us suffer from a deep-seated low self-esteem and are walking around with the constant fear that someday someone will unmask the illusion and show that we are not as smart, as good, or as lovable as the world was made to believe.'" Moreover, this corroding fear for the discovery of our weaknesses prevents community and creative sharing. We are in serious danger of becoming isolated since friendship and love are impossible. You want to know why community is so hard. At the end of the day, I'm going to say it's this. And the invitation for you this year is to take off the mask, uh, to, to lay down the tired illusion that the world tells you to keep up, to, to give up on trying to be something that you're not, to, to give up hiding behind the false image, but instead recognize that in the love and grace of God, we are actually set free to be who we are in Christ. As we are set free by the gospel, we are no longer clamoring for one another's approval, or struggling to curate our lives and cover up our weaknesses, but rather we are secure enough in the unconditional love of Jesus that we don't have to anymore. That we are free at last to take off the mask, to lay down uh, the false image, and to let others into our lives as they really are, without fear or anxiety or insecurity. Because we accepted and approved by the only person in the world that truly matters. There's a reason that the preaching of the gospel in Acts at Pentecost gave rise immediately. You see, like the first true preaching of the gospel. And immediately, the community that arises is something unique and and unprecedented, I'm going to say, in all of you, Between the gospel being understood and then in the power of the Spirit, this whole new type of human community uh, emerges on earth. Where there's no more hiding, there's no more clamoring there's no more curating, where there's no more fear, where there's no more anxiety, where there's no more walking on your mental and spiritual toes, all of that begins to evaporate as we understand the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so our hope for the coming year is that we would collectively choose to to live out of our identities, to live out of the security that we have in Jesus and choose as a community to go deeper in discipleship by becoming the type of church that God purposed from the beginning. We want to be a a church. I'm gonna rephrase that. We are a church church. A living, breathing community in which you can be known. Old and young, single and married, rich and poor, all together as one. And we aren't or the best production value, or large, dark, crowded room where no one knows your name. What we are offering instead is the chance to be known to grow deeper in community, and to become more like Jesus in the process. And one of the avenues that we have Uh, for a smaller in-depth community is what we call uh, missional communities and this is our version of small groups here at the church and so uh, what I actually want to do to end the teaching today is that I'm going to invite up some of our missional community leaders and just ask them to share. real